Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today are my two co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. Thank you all for joining us. If you don't know who we are, or if you don't remember where to find us, you can do so at Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on the BGG Guild, number 2077, or find us on places like Twitter and Instagram. Today's show is going to be all Origins 2016 recap. It's basically going to be a giant what we've been playing and what we've been seeing since we are officially home from, I don't know, probably one of the biggest uh, starter cons of the year. I'd say it helps to kick off con season. So uh, without further ado, let's jump right in and say, how did everyone do at Origins? (laughs) Go ahead, Tiff. (laughs) It was one of the best cons ever, I think. I did real well with not buying a thousand bajillion games but i'm really happy with all the ones i got and i got to see all the people that i wanted to see and play a game with with at least most of them so that was cool very nice and dan yeah so origins was good um we got in what wednesday i guess wednesday midday ish like i guess maybe around three so that's not midday that's like more than midday but who's (laughs) counting I had Cracker Barrel, which was awesome, so I was ready to go. I had my Big League Chew, which is also awesome. Um, Grape, of course, because that's probably... Well, no, Sour Apple's the best, but we'll talk Grape later. Um, I failed at not buying games, but that's okay because I got them all relatively cheaply, which was good. And there were a bunch of, like, the Essen games that I'd had my eye on since, you know, Essen. So it was... Yeah. I'm okay with it. I got a lot to punch. And some of the games that, you know, I played or watch played that I bought and maybe didn't really seem to interest me. For instance, Guilds of London. Um, I was able to just sell them so that, you know, I could recoup the costs, which was fine. How's that work? You've you've already sold some of the games that you bought? I sold Guilds of London, which is obviously like the new hotness. TMG had... 100 copies well let's take that back tmg had 100 copies when they got there on tuesday um they were yeah there weren't 100 copies for people to buy i guess due to certain connections of other people etc etc so i ran to the booth first and grabbed one um knowing that they were they're going to be even more limited because they even tweeted or said something on a video that i think matt had mentioned that they would probably be sold out before they even opened it to the public which that's kind of silly in my opinion but i guess i understand it if you're going to have reviewers buying the game and talking about it then that's even better yeah that's a different story but yeah i sold guilds of london the people i talked to some people whose opinions i trust it you know gave me a good rundown of the game itself key theme i heard from people that it it can be very aggressive and that's not really my style especially not in a euro game um obviously it's it's area control to a certain degree um i also heard mentioned which was a big turnoff that the iconography is on the level of like race for the galaxy they have a cheat sheet which is like front and back full of every symbol and card in the game but it's literally full like it's both sides of the sheet so that was kind of a turn off um at least for the con it was i didn't want to learn it but like i said some people you know bucked up and learned it and played it and i just i asked them questions and their opinions and i made the decision to just to sell it and i figure if, if it turns out to be the wrong decision i can just pick it up in a couple months it's 
I had 12 other games that I picked up, I think, or 10, something like that. So I'm not at a loss for games. Fair enough. Makes a lot of sense. So let's chat. Let's start by saying, you know, how do we feel about the convention in general? Now, you and Tiff obviously have much more convention going experience than I, uh, but I have been to Origins View Time, so I can compare it to itself. What did you guys think about uh, the space, the open gaming, the vendors, things like that? Well, it was a little bit different this year. Um, They had some construction going on, so things were set up just a little bit different in the open gaming hall. I didn't notice any super big lack of tables during the day, although there were a lot of people kind of worried about that. I thought it was fine. The lines were long as per usual for for registration. Dan, didn't you say that they their computers updated to Windows 10 the night before registration was supposed to start? One of the guys from our local shop who's who's pretty well connected within Origins and stuff, he helps like design their t-shirts and and he sits on I think he sits on the Gamma committee which Gamma running Origins. Yeah, he had mentioned that the night before that their computers automatically switched to Windows 10, and I think it did something with the registration system. It, it, I don't know if it hurt it too bad because, you know, you were able to register, but I guess maybe it caught them off guard and they probably had to patch it or fix something. Yeah, I was able, I mean, the line was long, but I was able to get through pretty quickly, so I'm not really complaining about Origins as a whole. It seemed just about normal. The only thing I I that has popped up in Origins the last couple of years that is a little irritating is that they close the hall down at 1 a.m., uh, and I'll apologize for my voice. It's kind of, I'm losing it. But the boardroom that Cabs has with their board game library used to be off in a separate room. So open gaming was open all night long, like 24 hours. Now that the boardroom is in with everything else, they shut everything down at 1 a.m. They have vendors and the boardroom and all of that stuff in with open gaming. So they kind of have to close it off so people aren't like pilfering things, I think, is the idea. So after 1 a.m., you're supposed to go and probably go to sleep, but we never do that. (laughs) So we're always looking for some place to go hang out and game after 1 a.m. I wish it was back to the old way. Yeah, it would be nice to be able to game just a little bit longer. Although for you guys, I suppose a lot big, bit longer, right? Oh, not too much. There was only one night that we were out ridiculously late, <laughs> and that was Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of it as Origin's little way of telling you, like, hey, maybe you should go to sleep. <laughs> no, but, you're on vacation. Yeah, yeah. Once I got back, I pretty much slept for like 10 12 hours straight so i was definitely lacking in sleep even with those restrictions so maybe it's okay <laughs> well but here's the thing so 1 a.m okay that's a reasonable thing but if you think about it in terms of games at least you know someone like myself who likes to play the heavier longer games uh, that basically restricted me to playing those games before probably about 10 10 30 because by the time you get in a teach and get the game rolling you know one o'clock could come quick and if you're playing a 90 minute you know a 90 to 120 minute game that means you have to start the game at 11 so by doing that you know you get finished a game at like 9 9 30 you're like oh what do you want to start you kind of have to like it completely shifts what you can you can get in because like what happened to us on thursday night thursday night we started a game of mumbasa and by the time i got teaching and we got started it was like it was like 11.45, and we got like a couple turns in, and they started kicking us out, and we didn't get to finish the game, so we had to start all over Saturday morning. 
um, with a new game because we were all enjoying the game and we wanted to play the game to, you know, the peak of it. <laughs> By peak, I mean end. It definitely forces you to plan a little bit differently, and I still haven't adjusted to that. And plus, you can go find other places to hang out. Like, the bar on two isn't super crowded at 1 a.m., like most nights, Saturday probably being the exclusion to that. But the places that you can go and game afterwards don't have the table space to play those larger type games because you're talking about bars. Some hotels have okay lobbies to hang out in, but generally, you're gaming is effectively done at 1 a.m. because of it. Yeah, which fortunately helps to uh, facilitate those great social con games, right? Which we'll get into the highlights of those a little bit later. For sure. So it sounds like Columbus is still awesome. Good food. No one had any issues with hotels or places to stay or park or things like that. It seemed like everyone's stay, everyone meaning the people that we encountered had a pretty smooth trip. Yeah, it went okay. And they even had, we had like our gay pride parade on Saturday. And I thought that would really mess some people up, but I didn't hear anybody complain about it. So yeah, Kel actually forewent gaming for a few hours and went out and uh, just took part in pride and, and had some fun that way. So I guess we need to talk about games then. Let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing or what we've been seeing since it turns out that Origins 2016 was, like last year, a big old demo con for (laughs) Kickstarter and Gen Con previews. Yeah, I wish more publishers would actually release games for Origins. I think it's big enough to justify it, but maybe that's just like my perception as someone kind of outside of like the business aspect of it. Sales don't really seem to be off the wall for anyone. There were some games that sold out, but it's not like the huge consumer fest that Gen Con is. So maybe that's unreasonable. Anyway, should I start talking about which games I bought? Yeah, go ahead and give me, just give me, don't give me a a super good one or a super bad one. Give me some of your medium picks here, Tiff. Well, I, oh, geez, that's tough. Unless they were all amazing or bad. I I don't really buy bad games. You want me to give you maybe like a surprising one? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's do a little sleeper hit. Someone recommended that I pick up Taste of Poland, which is a tiny little card game that they were selling at the Cool Stuff Inc. booth, and it was with all the Essence stuff, obviously very European, but I, I'm pretty happy with it. I only got to play it two players. It plays two to five, and it plays a little bit differently with two, but the gist of it is that there's an active player who plays out a card. It has a recipe using symbols on it, and then the other players quickly try to put together those ingredients and play them out as quickly as possible and get that card kind of as points. And you go through this, it has it's, it's order fulfillment kind of a thing, but it has a speed element. And at the end, you look at all your cards and you put together meals. The cards have a lot of symbols on them, but if you have a soup, an entree, and a dessert, they give you an extra point. So it's kind of just like a cute little theme of putting together recipes. And I'm really glad I picked it up for seven bucks. It was well worth it yeah this seemed to be the hipster hit of the con most definitely at least among the hipster gamers that are tiff and matt wolf and that whole group yeah i he they found it first Copac is the one chris Copac is the one who recommended it to me and he's really good with uh picking out great filler games so that was that was cool i've been to poland there's not much to taste there the the recipes didn't look all that appetizing there's the good old bread and water soup yeah. <laughs> they had 
So, and and the pictures have kind of like realistic depictions of the the th- the recipes that you're making. So the the card art is interesting. It's just quirky. It's right up my alley. It was pretty cool that uh, cool stuff had that kind of essence section. This definitely they, they were all discounted as well, at least on the last day, an extra twenty percent off. I mean, they weren't all great hits. I don't think that people were rushing to get them all, but it was nice to see some variety, some games that weren't necessarily on everyone's radar uh, available outside of the publisher booths. So, Dan, uh, let's go ahead and talk about something that you played or bought or demoed or stared at longingly. Um, I didn't play anything that i bought actually to be honest with you because they were all of the heavier variety and quite intimidating to learn at a convention so these are ones i need to curl up with a candle and sit down have a little spiritual punch out and then read the rules so but i guess i mean i talked about mumbasa that game is still phenomenal i like that game a lot if you haven't played mumbasa go play it please what about dynasties can you play that dynasties yeah we can talk dynasties so i played dynasties something german um this is the new matthias kramer so my boy and this game has a rather unusual theme and some interestingly thematic mechanics within that theme so the theme is you are like a you're trying to like marry off these princes or duchesses and princes within the different countries of europe and you're trying to establish that um but what's cool about that is when you like marry a duchess and a prince you know you and that player get to take the dowry and the dowry is basically like use utilizes an i split you choose mechanic using some dice so you're going to roll these dowry dice the person who is on there's two spaces on each country the the large space and the small space the beauty of this game is that there is some theme within the mechanics but then other things are not thematic at all like the resources are just called blue blocks black blocks white blocks so i immediately fell in love with that aspect of the game <laughs> Um, but so on each space there's a larger size space and a smaller size space and whoever places on the smaller size space which on some countries would be a, a duchess or on the other places would be the prince so that you have that balance there's no kind of sexism in, or anything along those lines um, they get to split the dice and then the person on the large space gets to choose first so interesting uh, mechanic to stick in in a euro game was kind of fun it led to a couple of interesting decisions Uh, a couple of laughs but the overall gist how you're taking your actions is you're just playing cards you're dealt a hand of x cards i think it was four in the four player game or five something along those lines and on each card there's three three actions you can take so basically you just play a card you take one of those three actions and you pass um it's a very simple game mechanically speaking there was a couple of other the the trading where you collect your resources that was another i split you choose like so you put on the the large space of the boat and the small space of the boat and then you split the resources on the boat and choose um yeah overall i i think i liked it i started out kind of going oh man i mean after last year's craft wagon disaster (laughs) that's what it looked like was happening when i first came over and you guys were playing it no one looked particularly jazzed no, I think it was just wrapping wrapping our heads around it because it was not a lot going on, but it was still some things to kind of absorb as far as how you wanted to play and, and time, putting your dudes on the map, etc. Um, but you know, for the record, I, I have since uh, changed my opinion. I do like Craft Wagon again, so I am 
okay with that. But I also, I think I wound up liking Dynasties as well. I had a good think on it, and that's always good when you, you finish a game. And like that night or the night or the day after, you're still thinking about it and you want to try it again. So that's a good sign. Um, so it has promise. Mechanically, it's relatively simple. I think you could play it in probably like 60 to 70 minutes. Um, it's only three rounds. And like I said, you're playing until either you pass or you play all the cards in your hand. You can get more cards, obviously, to get more actions, but um, yeah, right now I'm going to say it's a try before you buy, but uh, hopefully I'll play it again in the next week or two, and I'll, I'll have a more definitive answer on a future podcast. Very cool. Tiff, I never got to ask you. I watched you demo Holmes, Mycroft versus Holmes. That's the other guy. And this is, so you are the only person that I know that played both of the Sherlock Holmes games. The other one being Beyond Baker Street. Beyond Baker Street. Thank you. So how do you feel about those two? I think Beyond Baker Street is the one that I had the most fun with. So I probably played that one the most too. I probably played it five times at the con yeah. just because um, I had my hands on it. I, it was the second game I bought at the convention. So I just happened to have it in my bag and a lot of people wanted to try it and they didn't get a chance to buy it. So I taught that actually, which is a rarity for me at a convention is to teach a game. But if you don't know about Beyond Baker Street, it's kind of the Hanabi-esque game. It's like Hanabi Plus. They just put a couple extra layers on it. What you're doing is you're you're like a team of detectives trying to solve a crime before Sherlock Holmes can solve it. So you have these three piles out, which represent, I think, the motive, suspect, and opportunities. And they have a, a, a color and a point value. And you and your teammates are trying to play cards down to match that point value exactly. The problem is, obviously, you can't see your own cards. So everybody has to kind of help you figure out what's in your hand. Each suit, there are four colors. And each one goes from one to six. So you can kind of deduce by looking around at everybody's cards, but they also can give you clues which moves Holmes closer to solving the crime. And there's a couple of other little things in there. There's the impossible, which is something you, you play dead cards to to move this other track. I think it's called the investigation track. But in order to completely solve all of this, you have to get that track to exactly 20 by discarding cards. The problem is, is there's a limit to that impossible that once you pass it will also move Holmes closer to solving the crime. So you have to really plan it out to, to do well. But I really enjoyed it. It has some player powers mixed in. You don't use those. You shouldn't use those the first time, probably. But I uh, finally got to use those. And every game can be a little bit different because of that and because there are different like cases that are harder slash easier the the impossible limit is different the where home start is different so you can definitely amp up the difficulty as you get better at the game so i thought it was a really really good game what is the what's the mechanism for giving information you have some i think five different things you can do on your turn and one of them is assist another detective so you can just tell them either what color their cards are or uh, what number their cards are. So it and very literally borrows from Hanabi. It's just, it's Hanabi with a theme and a couple of little extra things that make it a little bit more gamier feeling. Yeah, and the contrast to that is Mycroft versus Holmes, which is a two-player set collection game that's actually not terribly thematic. And actually, the, the no. demoer at Devere said, like, this, the theme's not really relevant, but 
basically right. it's got a little worker placement kind of thing going on and we all stood around you and watched you demo this with justin and then we all bought it so how'd you feel about that <laughs> Well, we all bought it. I mean, I think that speaks to it. I think it's great because two-player and worker placement don't always work really well. I liked it. It was not what I was expecting because it really didn't have anything to do with that theme at all. No. There there are just different character cards that, that open up as you go. So like your different available actions, your different available actions increase as the game goes by. And then you have kind of a, a tableau of cards that are available and you're trying to collect sets of all these different cards. There are, you know, three threes, four fours, five fives, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the game, you collect all your, or you look at all your points for your sets. The difference is, is that if your opponent has cards from that set, that you'll subtract his cards from your total for your end game. So you're trying to really collect every card in a set. And there are some ways to steal cards from your opponent. Uh, but you're using these different actions, which are different characters from Sherlock Holmes, to collect cards as efficiently as possible. And as, as the game goes, you know, your options open up a little bit more. And it also gives the game some variability because there were cards that we didn't get to use. Um, but for a two-player game, I think it's kind of nice because, you know, worker placement isn't always what I think of as a two-player game. But this does feel worker placement e, except for the fact that you don't really block each other. You block yourself, kind of, because you can't go back to a card that you went to in the previous round. Yeah, the things that really sold it for me when I was watching... It just looked like simple set collection, but then I was talking to Dan Licata and what clicked was the idea that you you do block yourself, so you can't go to a card that you've already played on, that you have a meeple on, and your meeples don't ever wipe off the board. They stay there and move from person to person. Additionally, for most of the cards, if you and your opponent use them on the same turn, then they get removed, uh, they get flipped over and are no longer available um, right. for a round. So you have to balance using things on the same turn as your opponent, which I thought was cool. Yeah, well, we all bought it, so it's good enough. <laughs> I did There's... You didn't, but everybody that was standing there just about that watched me and Justin, and it's not terribly expensive. I'd like it to be $5 cheaper. It was $25. If it was $20, I'd say don't even hesitate. <laughs> I guarantee you guys will play it twice. The reason I didn't buy it, and as much as theme doesn't matter to me, I, I can't have a Sherlock Holmes game with zero deduction or sleuthing. Like, that just doesn't, you can't do that. That makes no sense. Like, Put a different yeah. theme on it. Like, you don't need that theme on there. There must have been a lot of people asking because the first thing he said when we started was, this has no deduction in it. But I'm cool with it. A lot of times, for for me, two-player games come about when we have too many players to play a Euro game. So, like, we'll have four, and then there are two people left out of that. And so those two people need something to do. And I think this is a nice weight game to put in front of them. It's also easy enough to teach middle schoolers. So I think I'll be bringing it to board game club once school's back in session. Cool. So Dan, what other standout experiences came from Origins 2016? Not much. I didn't play that much, to be honest with you. Looking at my list, I played a bunch of little card games, which... Yeah. You played Yokohama. Oh, you want to talk Yokohama? Let's talk Yokohama. That game is ugly. Yes. Holy crap. Ugly and busy as all get out. It's the one of the busiest looking games you'll ever see. It is the busiest game you will ever see. I can guarantee that probably. <laughs> this game is set up like, think Istanbul on steroids. That is this game. It's in the setup and in the mechanics. Okay? It takes up a lot of table space. Yeah, this is going to take up an entire 5x3 table easily. 
Um, and that's not including like your little player area and stuff, which you need to keep separate as well. But so this game is from the designer of trains and what else has he designed? A couple of other things. That recent Tricks of the Rail that was on Kickstarter. A bunch of stuff. The guy, he's popular. Um, I can't think of his name, so sorry. Hizashi Hayashi. There it is. <laughs> there we go. So in this game, you are the president of a company, and you're trying to put your assistants down on the board and move along the path that they create and then do kind of resource conversion in essence. That's basically the game. So like I said, it's, it's very Istanbul, except he kind of tweaked it so that you have to lay out your assistants and then you can move along them as opposed to Istanbul, whereas you move and then you lay out your assistants and you have to kind of go back and collect them. Um, the cool thing about this change in the mechanic that I liked is the number of assistants, including your president, that end up on a space uh, exponentially increases the power of the action that you take on that space. So if I, there's a, you know, you have one two three four five plus power on a space, when you remove those workers to take the action when you land there, you're going to take whatever power you're going to look how much power you had there so one two three four five plus and then you'll get corresponding resources equal to that so think think the marco polo uh dice conversion chart in a way but this is using power which is cubes on the space okay so a one will get you something less than a two less than a three etc etc five being the the highest and quote most powerful resource and or action it's a neat puzzle trying to navigate the board and you have to avoid your other players because like in you know again like in istanbul if you land or pass through people you got to pay coin you know there's a penalty for you know going through other players routes so yeah i mean just for me this and again this was the the japanese version which is japanese slash english so it had both languages on the cards and the cards were tiny european sized cards so I honestly, from where I was sitting, I could not read the cards on the other side of the table. And, and I'm not even lying when I say this. I literally cut the board in half and I played my game just on the side that I could see. Well, I, did, uh, I didn't even look at the other side. Well, I can tell you, I was sitting right in the middle and it was still hard for me to pay attention to everything that was on the board. And I do think we played and you could tell people were crafting their strategy by what they were closest to. So that's probably not a good sign. For the game i it looks really crazy but a lot of the actions are similar so it wasn't as hard to learn like you look at that and you're like oh my god i don't know if i could sit through rules for this because it's so complicated but it wasn't as complicated as i thought it was going to be I'll, I'll give it that but i even though i was in the middle and could read a lot more than probably everybody else i still had a hard time staying focused because there are a lot of options and you have to read for a lot of those options what's going on so yeah it was it was mechanically fairly simple like right. i said you did the same thing every turn and that just became you know the repetition just ingrained it in your head the problem was just staring at the board it's like someone vomited japanese writing and strange graphics onto these little tiles and like Again, I keep referring to Istanbul, but that this game like just reminded me completely of like Istanbul Plus. Right. Like, instead of like Istanbul, where the the tiles are like you know in uh, rows and columns, like this one they they had to be staggered. Yeah, it's a pyramid shape. Yeah, it's like a pyramid shape, which just lent even more to the the kind of wonkiness of it on my eyes. I don't know if anyone's ever played PI, the Martin Wallace game, but that's kind of how the board was set up, and that kind of you could get here and here 
based on like because of the staggered elements of the the different worker spaces but i liked moving in this better than i like istanbul like i like that it's reversed the other way kind of um i like these mechanisms i just want the game to be pared down a little bit i don't know if i agree with you on that i think i like i like the tightness of the istanbul actions um because you know you're going to run out of workers in this game i never i never got a single worker even though you could add to the number of workers you had but i found an efficient path and i took it over and over and over and over again um and i guess that kind of speaks to somewhat of the balance because we all did something different and you know it just so happened that mine came out on top but it wasn't that it was better it's just honestly i stayed on my side of the board i only went between like six tiles on the whole board and i just did it over and over and over again which was kind of fun but it got kind of repetitive after a while and i i I like the idea that i can next time i play it i could branch out and try something new but at the same time i didn't have to which was kind of interesting as well so I don't know. So not overwhelmingly exciting. It was okay. I, it was I, okay. Yeah. I'm firmly, uh, I'd say for most people, I mean, this is going to make a killing on Kickstarter. It's going to be TMG. They're going to do like a deluxe version. Hopefully they upgrade the graphic design and art on it because it's just, like I said, it hurts your eyes. It literally, I had to stand the whole game. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. like playing games where I have to stand the whole time to see the board. Like that's obnoxious. Yeah, I think the space it takes up is probably the bigger problem. Like, it's really busy. The artwork isn't the worst thing ever. And I I know that they're redoing some of the graphic design and they won't have the Japanese on it. So the text hopefully can be bigger and that'll help out a whole lot. But um, yeah, it is a little tough to look at. It's just really the, the sprawl of it is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm I'm really torn on buying this on Kickstarter. I am. Like I see the potential, but at the same time I'm like, mm, this is a game that I could wait on easily. I feel like I would play it again, but I definitely don't need this in my collection. That's how I feel about it. That's what I was gonna ask, is if a facelift from TMG would influence your backing. Like is the gameplay good enough where if they can fix some of the aesthetics that it would be worth it? I will look at that plus the price point. Right. Not, like this is not like this is not a seventy, eighty dollar game for me. But I could, components-wise, I could see it being that, especially if they're doing a deluxe. The heavier crowd, like I think, like I said, it, it, it probably ticks a box or two. But for, for those that are, you know, more family style or like more like the medium to have, like I just stick with Istanbul. Go get the expansion for Istanbul and play that. Like I, I find it to be, I found that to be much more elegant and um, simpler. Hey, Tiff. Hey. What was it like to uh, demo the new Vikings on board, the Blue Orange Games big box game? I was super thrilled. Um, uh, Brandon Parsons, who is the Blue Orange guy, had a few copies, and uh, he was kind enough to give me one to review. So I'll probably be talking about that or put it on a Blender segment at some point because I really liked it. Um, it's got amazing table appeal. It has these 3D cardboard viking ships think colt express style except for they're all put together for you ahead of time (laughs) which was outstanding because okay nice putting colt express together really stressed me out as someone who likes to have pristine games i'm like i need to jam this in here but i don't want to (laughs) so uh it was nice they're all put together and they're awesome little viking plastic dudes that you play with but 
It's kind of a really simple worker placement kind of thing. <clears throat> There's a track that you have with all the available actions, and they allow you to move your Vikings in different places, and the ships ha are in little segments. So they can allow you to like move your seg switch segments around and things like that. And your whole goal is to sail these ships across the board and get the tr treasures or goods that are on them. So there are a few different kinds of goods. So there's even an action to increase the value of the goods. But I feel like I'm not doing a really great <laughs> job explaining it because I learned it late at night. But you you put down your Vikings. You have, I don't even remember how many. And then you take the actions. One of the actions lets you control which boat launches. So that's an extremely powerful action. And the thing about it is depending on how powerful the actions you're taking, it will determine your player order for the next round. So if I'm taking all the really powerful actions, that means my opponents will all go before me because uh, when you follow through that track, the easier actions are first and that's who goes first. It goes right down the track in order. So the most powerful actions are at the end. So if you do all of them in one turn, then that means Brandon will go a thousand times before you and you'll be sad. I mean, that means your opponents, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I learned that lesson the hard way, but I mean, it was really fun. Just kind of, it, it, it's thinkier than I thought it would be. Cause when you think of blue orange games, I mean, these are all family friendly games and I know that this is them branching out into kind of like more gamery style game. And this definitely does that because I, there were times where I'm like, I'm so sorry, Brandon. I know. I know you're bored <laughs> because I'm thinking so hard. I, I suffer from terrible AP. So it was simple enough that I know I'll be able to teach my board game club and they'll be able to get it and, and the table appeal. That's such a huge thing for getting anyone to play a game for the first time. So I know I'll have no problem doing that. And once I calm down and actually learn how to not overthink every move, it probably two players would only take like 40 minutes. So it's the perfect weight game for me. I really yeah. liked it a lot. Cool. It looks nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, that's all I could really glean from it because I was, I mean, I came over and you were like, I'm kicking butt. So that's pretty much <laughs> That is not what happened know. at all. Well, when we sat down, uh, <laughs> Brandon took his first action, which was to control which boat. Like you get to choose which one moves, which means if you're set up in a really good position at the end of the round, you know, you're going to choose the one that is best for you. So the whole game is once someone chooses that, then you're trying to get make their position on every ship be terrible so he put his guy down he goes i'm taking this because i play to win and i'm like oh no <laughs> i'm in <It's> trouble happening. <laughs> and it came down to a tie at the end i thought he was killing me the whole time it came down yeah. to a tie and i won in the tiebreaker wow. so if you want to see brandon's face when he loses to a tiebreaker i tweeted a nice picture about it <laughs> solid yeah. Not gloating at all. I I have to gloat. It no. was a it, it it really turned around my confidence for the rest of the con. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's two very interesting experiences that I need to hear about. Uh one of which involves Tiff and some snails, but I'm going to wait on that <laughs> one because I need to know uh Dan what you thought about Tyrants of the Underdark because our fans clearly need to know why in the world you were playing a D&D themed deck building game. Uh, I don't know why I did um, strange things happen in origins strange things happen 
Yeah. Now, Dan Patrice, our buddy from the Geek All-Stars, asked if I'd play with him, and I, I did. I didn't realize that a demo, I guess demos, because I don't demo a lot, to be honest with you, at least, like, at the the booths and stuff i usually demo after hours or something like that when it's more calm and peaceful but i I didn't realize demos that the booths are now like full games for some time for some of them yeah um yeah well i got roped into a full game so this game tyrants of the underbelly underwear or whatever it was the underwear yes tyrants of the underwear tyrants of your underwear yeah, that sounds... Yeah, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't know how that one go. There's only one tyrant in my underwear. hey oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> how about the game, Dan? How was that game that you played? It, well, I'd rather talk about my underwear, but no, I'm kidding. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how much I liked it. No, it was okay. It was a deck builder. I think it was Gale Force 9 put this out. Yep. Um, And it has to do with... I, I think it's based off a book or something. I'm not sure. I'm not versed in my D&D lore or the D&D universe. Um, but it had to do with like the drow and some other... I know those are like elves with really bad tans. Um, that's <laughs> yes, all I know. Precisely. Um, yeah, but really cool white hair. Uh, yeah, so it was a deck builder. And it had... I believe it was designed by the same group that did Lords of Waterdeep. So that's kind of where I was like, hmm, alright, we'll try it. Because Lords of Waterdeep is a, is a pretty solid game. As Tiffle attests to, since she plays it every waking hour of every week waking oh, day you just reminded me i have a turn to take damn yeah it. We'll go do that while i'm talking about this game because you can miss it um <laughs> it it was okay it was a de- it was a deck builder but it had a board and if i'm going to pick a deck builder to play i i like when it's an element of the game not the entire game um so you know again it had the board and it had area control on the board so you're trying to like put your little dudes out on the board and you can go there's adjacency rules so think like train where it trains where you can only go like adjacent to your own pieces and you're trying to area control certain cities on the board and there was yeah yeah it was a deck builder but the, i guess <laughs> i'll it's point so out painful no nah, I, I, yeah I, I mean i've gotten to the point like deck builders unless it's like a small piece like rococo or something where i don't have to shuffle every five minutes i just want to play them on an app I find I find that's like the best median for a deck builder now for my for my brain and my kind of attention span. Like I don't want to sit there and shuffle every two turns. Like that gets on my nerves. But I digress. So let's talk about some of the things that made this different from other deck builders. So there was a couple of interesting mechanics. Um, first, out of the box, there's like four factions, and you play with two of them. Okay, so you're gonna play with two decks and combine them to make the one buy deck. Within there, there was a couple of, you know, your basic keywords. Everything was kind of similar, like you had influence, I think it was called, and soldiers or something along those lines. So those those let you buy. And then the soldier resource allowed you to um, put guys out on the board um, or move guys or uh, attack opponents that were adjacent to you. So there's that. Then there was this interesting action. This was probably my favorite part of the game, so to speak, because it was just another added layer to a deck builder. And this was... It's called the promotion action. So you basically, when you played this action, it allowed you to take one of the cards that you had played that turn and put it to the side under this little thing, which was called your circle of influence. So you've been promoted thematically to the inner circle, so to speak. Um, and how that worked was on each card, there was a, there was two values. There was a value for if the card was in your deck, and there was a value for if it was in your circle of influence. And the value for the circle of influence was much greater than the value that if it just remained in your deck, which was usually like one point, similar to a very, you know, a typical deck builder where you get something, you know, score something like that. So I thought that was cool because it gave you that kind of strategy to work out, okay, this card's no longer useful in my deck 
so it was just a way to call your own deck but call it to your benefit so i thought that was interesting and then yeah there was like there was powers that if you controlled certain cities they gave you this like token which gave you additional influence and if you had what's called total control which meant you had every space on that city occupied you would get vp every turn if you still controlled that city at the beginning of your turn kind of thing so that was different and interesting um yeah overall i thought it was okay uh, my, my biggest complaint about the game because it worked it was a, you know it was a deck builder it was solid mechanically my biggest complaint about the game was the board itself because it's such a you know as much as i'm not a big D guy it's a it's a very rich world it's a rich universe it's got so much art available for it and everything and the board had this like dark background and then like the cities were just circles white circles that were connected by a white line that had little white circles and these were like the places you could place your dudes and i was like are you kidding me like <laughs> like you could have put like you could have done anything with this board and it would have been it could have been beautiful like as it stands now it's just it's stupid looking like it's just it's white lines on this dark background i, I was just I was a little bit let down with that, you know, from, like I said, from, from the standpoint of, you know, people who like theme and want, you know, uh, that kind of immersion, like it didn't give it to you at all. Like it was, it was weak. I mean, I, yeah, but overall uh, it was okay. Uh, it's MSRP was $75. So that's, that's a no go for me. I'm not buying a deck builder for 75 bucks, but Jeez. it did have, it did have a bit of plastic in it. And like I said, four factions that you could play intermix. So I guess I can understand it, but it's not for me. It's not a $75 game uh, play wise. It just it tweaked a few things. That's it, and that's not because I didn't get blown out or anything. I only yeah. lost by five points um, to Patrice, who was left untouched the entire game by his neighbors. Whereas we were playing against a father and a son, and they never touched each other. Well, that was you. Sorry, they never attacked each other. Uh... <laughs> you cut that. <laughs> no, Dan. No one's gonna cut that. So, like, because I had a strong presence on the board, that's kind of how I drafted my deck to be. I was kind of military heavy, which isn't my bag, but it was a demo, so who cares? Um, I, I believe I was the perceived leader because I had, like, two cities under full control, and I was gaining one victory point each round for them. But come to find out, Dan was just sitting back, slowly spreading and collecting, like, big point cards for his deck, and he won that way because like i said the two dudes on the opposite end of the table that were adjacent to dan just came after me the whole time and i had to i couldn't fight all three of them and i i had to let him spread while i fended them so it it's like it's a typical area control kind of thing um but yeah tyrants of the under dark i think right Underbelly. tyrants of the underpants <laughs> tyrants of your underpants <laughs> All right, Tiff, an equally horrifying experience as Dan playing Dungeons & Dragons games. Uh, what what happened with the snail game? All right, so um, when my buddy Justin comes in for Origins, he's local to me. He's one of my best friends, and he loves to just walk the hall and demo anything and everything. So we really go row by row and demo a lot of things, which was which is great because a lot of the people I hang out with that are in the industry, and that's air quotes, you can't see them, but that's what they are, uh, they don't do that. So I was happy to go around, and we found a booth where the game title is called Killer Snails, so that intrigues me. You know, I love a weird theme, and it is a weird theme. So first thing that happened was that, you know, he goes, do you want to play this game, the demoer? And I'm like, sure. We sit down, and it's a deck builder 
for two to four players, but the demoer played with me. They only had one chair at their booth because it was a tiny booth in the back. So Justin just had to watch me play this wretched game. I mean, this perfectly good deck building game. <clears throat> so it, the premise of the game is that you have right. the... <laughs> Uh, you have these uh, peptides in the middle of the board. They're just tiles, different peptides, and they are face down. And you have your side of the board where you have some things that you can feed to snails and you have snail cards. And I don't really, I didn't grasp the game very well after the demo, but the idea is that you're trying to feed your snails. And when you do this, you get to a lot of times peek at some of these peptides. And once you figure out all the peptides that are in the cabal, I don't know. I don't know things. This is apparently very scientifically accurate. They made it with a museum. So, okay, you you can learn a lot about snails by playing this deck building game. We go through the whole game, or not the whole game, we just play like kind of a round of it to get the feel of it, thank God. And so that was that. And, and we go to walk away, they give us their promotional items, which are like a postcard with a snail attacking a fish on it and some stickers. I'm like, okay, great. But the lady at the booth was like, no, 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 you can't go yet. You need to watch this video. And they had a little TV screen set up and it was a, <clears throat> it was kind of interesting. It was a snail, but you can't see the snail. He's underneath all the sand. There's just kind of like this innocent looking fish just chilling. And then you slowly see this little like tentacle. I don't know what sails have. So just creep up, you know, and then just plug into this fish and pull him down and then just completely envelop the snail or in envelop the fish, like swallow him immediately. So I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't know snails were vicious. I I've learned now. And then we try to leave again. She's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you have to watch the second video. Now, these aren't too terribly wrong. <laughs> but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more killing that you can watch. And she was so pumped about this. That's the thing. Like when you're demoing in a booth, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So like, it, I imagine that it's really hard to keep your energy up about any game, even if you love it. But this lady was passionate about some killer snails. And I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking about snails killing fish. She was into it. So she showed us the second video was even worse because it's like this poor fish. And what happens when a snail kills a fish is that it like it injects venom into it that um, paralyzes it. So you see the fish get swallowed completely. And then she's like, wait for it. Here's where the fish wakes up and knows it's going to die. That's that's how that went. So after I was traumatized, I moved along. Do you think that she was uh, quietly threatening you? <laughs> like, like by this game, like I was half expecting a tentacle to just weave its way around and like, and I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just, I really wanted to ask, but I didn't want to be a jerk. I wanted to ask, does this help you sell games? Because I'm noticing a giant pile of killer snails assassin of the sea behind you and uh yeah it might be the murder that you keep showing on the screen might be the cute fish murder it might be the cute fish <laughs> murder that's turning people off i don't know either that or your enthusiasm about it i get it i grew up on a farm animals have to die to feed other animals i get it but i don't need to watch it over and over again and be amused by it i think it would have sold if they called it s card go <laughs> Uh, you should, I have their card. You should give them a... People love a good name.
Yeah, it's true. So that was that. So for once you had a reason to be uncomfortable. Just for once. I it was it was probably my one of my most uncomfortable moments of the uh, con. Cuz she she really wanted us to watch these videos. I wanted to go so bad cuz I hated the game so much. It I mean, and it's tough because like you can tell that someone who has a real passion for snails made this game that's like a, it's their baby and it has all this like really correct scientific information, but uh, not fun. All right. So Tiff was accosted by a lady via snail. Yeah. Very strangely. If you're held into, hostage almost. If you're into snails, check out that game because it's got a lot of detailed information about snails. If you're into games, should you check out the game? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the thing about demoing games, and it's why I go in them a little warily, is because a lot of it is dependent on the demoer and their ability to communicate the game in a very efficient way. And I didn't get the sense that the demoer was super comfortable with the game. I mean, he, he did an okay job, but he left out some things. And, you know, you have to do that to give a quick demo. But I didn't get a good feel for the game. It didn't. I mean, it's a deck builder, so I'm naturally not going to like it. As soon as I sat down and he said it was a deck builder, I wanted to run away. But I couldn't. You, you did get a good feel of terror. Terror is the feeling. But that's okay. not the game. That was... <laughs> The, the snail video fair, fair but just think a snail couldn't run away yeah a true. snail wouldn't have to it, wouldn't it would have eat to. you yeah it would inject you with poison swallow you wait till you woke up and then no, eat you yes i could outrun a snail but snails well, snails are sneaky so what it would do is it would just like you're chilling out playing like hansa teutonica and it would just like slowly creep up stab nope. you and eat you i'd step on it you'd be yeah. focused on your turn Nope, I'd kill it. The trick is is that you wouldn't even know you needed to run from the snail until it was too late. Trust me, I watched two videos. (laughs) (laughs) It would have to be a pretty big snail to take Dan down, though. I'll give it that. I'll fight a snail. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Weigh in, listeners. Who do you think would win, Dan or giant snail? Dan versus giant killer snail. Hashtag snail fights. (laughs) Yes. Anyway... So I guess it's it's about time to talk about the social game highlight of the con. There's always a game that is sometimes a kid's game is sometimes meant to be played by adults. There's always a game that's a standout in terms of you got 30 people that you don't see but once a year. Now let's find a way to entertain them all at the same time. So what did you guys find this year? Um, well, there were a couple games, actually. One was a big surprise and one was not a surprise at all. Which one do you want? Uh, are you going to surprise me like a snail or like a human? I can talk about both of them real quick. All right, let's do both. Uh, right. I'll fight the snail. <laughs> uh, if we have fans who are artists, I would like to see a, a, some sort of dramatic rendering of this. But anyway. it's It'd be like biblical. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see it happen. Make it happen, people. Junk art will play up to six players. And I did play in a big game that was six players. And... It was a lot of fun. I think I didn't buy it at the con, but I'm definitely going to pick it up eventually when the price is just slightly lower and I don't have to carry it around all day. But, you know, it's it's a lot like Bowsack where you are um you're you're building things and you're you're competing. A lot of stacking games, it's kind of like, "Oh, we'll wait until this falls over and that's it." You know, I don't know. So this is a there are 10 different scenarios, modes, I don't know. And you you play different ones each round. And so it kind of mixes it up where you're not playing the same thing the whole time. 
but I, I like it because it's the first one we liked. I immediately fell in love with the game because you have these cards that correspond to the different components of the game and you give the person on your left a card and a person on the right your card and they give you cards and you're trying to build the tallest structure. So you're like trying to screw each other over so bad and it's like hilarious what they're trying to give you and if you can make it work and it really makes you do very daring stacking and a lot of the problem with at least in the past my adult groups they won't do risky stacking things when we play you know animal upon animal they'll do the safe bet and that's that makes a stacking game really boring so this game kind of makes that impossible to do and just makes it fun to screw over your friends so uh don't bump the table though just make sure your table is really secure and no one is yeah, anywhere near it. so many delicate structures going at one time. Yeah. So that was a good one. And uh, the other one was Dead Last by Smirk and Dagger Games. Yeah. Chris Kirkman was talking about buying this. He was just telling us like what was on his list. And he was like, Dead Last. And I was like, dead wrong. That I will never play that game. It is a piece of crap. <laughs> Like, just sight unseen, because it's just like a social game about killing each other. But we did end up playing it on our super late night. You know, we started up a game because it can play up to, I want to say 12. Yeah, a lot. And each player is a a color, and you are, every round you're going to kill one player by playing a card uh, of their color, hopefully. Whoever the majority, you know, of the cards played is the one who dies, If you don't vote for the right person, the majority person, you also die and you also have the ability. So if you think everybody is going to vote for you, then you have your ambush card that you can play. And if you do that, uh, then you get to kill someone. But if you play it and not everybody votes for you, then you are dead. So there are a lot of ways to die. But I think the reason this game works for me, it's a social game, it's nonverbal communication. So you can use any way you want to communicate who, I mean, including tweeting, <laughs> including email, like you, it says any way you want. So you can be showing people your cards, you can be, you know, looking at someone or pointing or whatever you want, holding cards above your, you know, neighbor's head, whatever. And uh, so that makes it really interesting. As a teacher, nonverbal communication is a super big, important part of my job, and I'm kind of okay at that. So I came in second. It can be verbal. It can be. Just nonverbal. It can be verbal, but a lot of it is nonverbal. Did you come up with secret third base hand signals? (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, it kind of worked that way. I I mean, I did a lot of just like showing my card secretly to the people around me but it kind of got messed up because we were at the bar on two and it was so late that they were actually trying to clean it up for the next day so they kicked us out of our table and we went somewhere else but where we where we sat down the next time we were in a completely different arrangement sitting next to completely different people many of which i had screwed over in previous rounds so yeah it it made it pretty hard after keep your enemies closer yeah so it was a lot of fun and i was totally dead wrong about my opinion i prejudged and i was wrong it's a social game that even i can get into well if tiff managed to swing it dan how'd you do with it i had fun with it like in the moment i have no desire to own it and i don't think i'd ever play it outside of a con but i'd play it at a con sure it's minimum six players too so that's just a no-go 
Like that's just going to take up shelf space because I don't play with more than six players all that often. And I, I don't play social games all that often. So it doesn't tick any of the boxes really for me, but I had fun with it. Like I, I thought it was, it was funny. Like I liked yeah. the mechanic of like, you're trying to like get people to vote for a certain person. And then you think that you might've gotten them and then they switch their vote and you wound up voting for the person that wasn't the target and you're out instead so that was that was funny it's super um, super simple yeah, does it trump no, it something like spyfall which seems like it no. it's closer to the well, like multiplayer social it trumps style spyfall thing. in player count and i think it would play i think this game plays better with more yeah um i think it's yeah it's more it's more interesting with the more you have so the closer you can get to that 12 i think would be the most fun you could have with it um because maybe not as many people would be dying every turn as it was with lesser people i'm not sure the dynamic that would be created but i I just envision it being better the more you get i mean i thought it did a pretty good job when you get down to two that you get to like this do a showdown where you reveal different cards to divvy up the treasures at the end you're playing to i think 25 points or something like that and the cards have different point values and if you play cards different combinations of cards will either screw over the other person or split things equally and you kind of have to see if you can trust the person you're going up against i thought that was kind of neat at the end of all of it but yeah okay dan maybe not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, I, I thought it was that. You I mean, had fun. Just I had fun it. with, but here's the comparison. Something like Spyfall or Codenames, those are going to create stories more often than this game, I think, because they have that, oh, you just made a dumb move, or you just said something dumb, and that was hilarious. Like, this one was funny, just the backstabby part of it, but I, I didn't, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going around telling anyone, like, how, like, last year at Origins, somebody got asked if they were bringing their coat, and we were at the beach in Spyfall, and they said yes, and it was, like, the most hilarious thing ever, because it was dead wrong you know what i mean it's okay for me if a social game does not like help me remember it for the rest of my life i can live with that (laughs) it sounds cool in the sense that you can communicate in any way you want so you could come up with that story like hey remember that time that we group message between 11 of us and killed that guy (laughs) (laughs) no one used that as a option but i think that would be fun and funny but i don't know i mean it's not like an innovative like mind-boggling game i think Codenames is just like incredibly brilliant and Spyfall is great for people who I don't know I don't even know but people who aren't me so (laughs) this one this one is gonna work great for my uh, strings camp group because we always we have a huge group of directors and uh, assistant directors that play every night so I know that this is gonna go over well and the the barrier to entry is very very small whereas like a game like Spyfall, everybody really has to understand what's going on before you can even start that game. Yeah. And has well, to be they have to, but it makes it funnier when they don't. <laughs> it's like, I I could see it being more boring the better you got at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> like it just seems yeah. like Do you have Spyfall? Do you still play Spyfall? I have it still because I I think in the right situations, yeah, I would bust that out. I would pull out Spyfall over Dead Last unless player count dictated otherwise. Yeah, I wouldn't. (laughs) So that's the difference. Fair enough. All right. So that was the uh, the big, the two big kind of socially multiplayer games that we got into. So we've been chatting for a while. I think that it is appropriate now to talk about the uh, the ups and downs. Let's talk about the highlight and the I don't want to call it a it's not a downfall. The best and the least exciting in terms of games or experience for Origins 2016 before we wrap up. Let's go ahead and start with you, Dan. 
best what? Like your best moment, your best thing that happened to you. Best Doesn't have to be a game. Always just seeing people I don't see all year. That's always nice. Um, I, I guess the 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 thrill of running through the con, getting games you want, which for Origins isn't really there. But I had a couple of moments. I mean, all the new hotness I mainly picked up from Matt. I didn't really get anything new myself, except for Guilds of London. Um, and I, I talked about that earlier. So for me, it was just about the bargain, the hunt. I thought that was exciting. I just kind of like going around to the different booths and seeing what I can get. And I, I talked the cool stuff guys down and on a couple of games, which was nice. And Did you? Nice. Yeah, I got I got Signori and Nippon for thirty bucks a piece. Jeez. Which is pretty awesome. I didn't know you could deal. bargain with those guys. Well, they they didn't have them. They were like they were putting their Essen releases on sale the last day, twenty percent off. And they, they, I I don't know, like I could see like someone who wasn't, I guess, as informed as we are, not knowing that Nippon and Signori were Essen related releases, and there was a couple other games that they hadn't marked that were Essen related. And you know, I just mentioned it to the guys, and he was like, hey, "Yeah, all right, I see your point. We'll give it to you." So I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice." So. Yeah, I got those, and I got a bunch of games that I was like looking for at some point. I think I checked off a lot of my on the trade list, and I got them for relatively good prices. Um, I finally got my hands on Arkwright, which was fun. Well, not fun, but it was nice to have it finally. Which um, was heavy. <laughs> it was very heavy. Yeah, the first day of the con was miserable because we're carrying around matt's junk art i'm carrying around deluvia project and arkwright which weigh about 19 pounds combined um i got the grizzled expansion which i was very happy about cool and your arms looked great by the end of the con oh yeah um and i got i got a really good price on three kingdoms redux which was a game that i've had my eye on um because i'm a big fan of the three kingdoms you know the story so um and this this is game the game has good buzz it's just been really expensive and or hard to find so i was pleased with that low point i don't i don't know i didn't really have a low point i didn't go in with like huge expectations about any one game or you know what i mean like anything like that i'm sure you guys will get into it i guess we have to talk about imhotep which was the the biggest game of the con especially because cosmos only had it in limited quantities so people were like running there every morning yeah they had 50 every day yeah well they went they went 50 50 and then they went 100 on saturday and that Did was they? it that yeah was they didn't have any on sunday sneaky little well you figure saturday's the big day it made sense business wise i'm not but, saying it doesn't make sense but yeah so they went 50 50 100 i think i think they had 200 copies in total but fear not i think you can get it in stores this week or next week like it's not that big of a deal but i uh, we can do you want to talk about it now or you want to wait no we can talk about it now because i'd say like i was kind of hoping that imhotep would surprise me by like how amazing it is because you know it is a spiel nominee so all those games are usually pretty solid and i'll give it that it's very solid but when i watched a review of it i i thought oh this looks pretty vanilla and i mean gateway games kind of are that a lot of times but you know there are there are 3d aspects to it and you know the movie the boats around is a little different so i thought okay maybe there's something that you just have to play it to feel you know special about it and and once we only played it once i'll give you that i only played it once 
but I didn't come away with it thinking like, oh my god, this is incredible. There are b-sides to the tiles that change things up, and I did hear a couple of people say that uh, they weren't impressed the first time they played it, but as they played it more and more, it got more interesting. So, you know, maybe with multiple plays, it will get better. But I was I was a, just a tiny bit disappointed with that one because it was one of two games on my list that I was going to buy. So Yeah, that seemed to be the consensus. Not a lot of people were terribly enthused about it. It's got great chunky cubes. They're like big cubes. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was a surprise. I didn't realize that they were big cubes and I'm hoping I mean it'll be a good gateway game for the board game club kind of a thing and the theme is Egyptian and that a lot of people like that so I want to play it a few more times just to get a better feel for it but I wasn't I wasn't wowed by it yeah Um, I was surprised no, go, go ahead, Matt. No, 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 you go ahead. Because you, I bought it for you, so I'm curious what you think. I, I didn't want it, so I'm, or I, and I especially don't. But I'll let you talk first. I only played it once. Uh, apparently, we played one small rule wrong in terms of like the point of the game is to you have a colored set of cubes. You load the cubes onto boats, you deliver the boats to different locations, and those cubes are unloaded and scored in a variety of different ways, five to be specific. And the rule that we played wrong was um, that you had to load your boat front to back, which is not correct. You can actually load your boat however you want. It just gets unloaded front to back. So you can actually game the system that way a little bit in terms of you don't always want to... The way the scoring works out in different locations, you don't always want to be like the first one off the boat. So you don't have to be. You can actually load it the way you want it, which is cool. I mean, I think that adds a tiny layer. I think uh, we may have played it wrong, too, because I don't. We did. I think a lot of people played that rule wrong from like Surf and Twitter. Um, At least a lot of people that, you know, because we were taught by someone else and that person had played with other people, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And it's. Yeah, it's a small change. I think it it adds a small little bit of additional strategy to it, but I don't know that it really changes the oh for it. It, No, it doesn't impact your kind of fondness of the game, but it does impact the decision-making process. It's like, oh, okay, I I had more control than maybe you would have thought. It adds a little bit more depth, probably. I think that I was one of the few people that I spoke with that really enjoyed the game. I thought that the game was perfectly fine for what it was in terms of of not a family. I don't think that it's necessarily a family style game. I think that in terms of targeting like a wide range of ages and theme wise, but I do think that it's a nice entry level game. Makes sense that it's up there with Karuba and Codenames. I think that it is more of a interactive game than Karuba because Karuba has basically no interaction other than the race. Imhotep is a little bit meaner in that you you can mess with people a bit more in terms of scoring and try to block them, try to send their boats to the wrong places, things like that. So I like that interaction because it's not overly aggressive, but it is disruptive and you you feel like you're playing with people at the table. As opposed to Karuba, which is like, it's neat to see the end product, but during the game, you're not really paying any attention to anyone. So um, I think that that's, that's a difference there. Codenames is Codenames. Like, I don't really feel like it fits in with the other two. Um, it, I think that if it wins, it'll win on hype. I think that Imhotep, having played all three games, is probably the most interesting game system. Uh, while Karuba is probably the most family-friendly, if you're looking at what's the German family-friendly game. But Codenames um, code is bonkers innovative. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. You just took words. And made an amazing game out of it. No, no, no. I, w- did I say it wasn't innovative? No, you said Were it would win words? on hype. You said win yeah, on I hype, think... and then you said Imhotep was the most innovative game system. 
I think it's the most interesting game system. I think that it's got the most kind of chunky, meaty decision-making processes. Uh, I think that it's got the most kind of diversity of mechanisms involved. I think that Codenames is a party word game. Now, it's ingenious. I'm not denying that. But when we're looking at what is the family game, German family game of the year, I mean, Codenames to me is still a large group party game well, to some extent. I mean, you, it's you, on every German player's shelf. I'm think. just giving an opinion. No, yeah, no, no that's fine. I'm countering your opinion. That's all. Well, and I think it doesn't look very German. I think Imhotep feels the most German, <laughs> if that's a thing. You know it's what I mean? Brown. Exactly. Germans love brown. Deal with it. I don't know. I think that I really liked it. A lot of people said it was boring. A lot of people said that it was kind of crappy or oh. said worse things about it. I do not think at all that it's a bad game. I only heard one person in particular say that it was bad but pretty much everybody was like yeah it's okay it's a game i kind of heard that a lot like it's a game yeah. i mean I, i'm happy to have it i i don't regret my it's... purchase for 38 dollars. there's 38 dollars worth of game in there that's what i paid for it so yeah yeah i think that that's about right i mean it'd be nice around 35 even i think 30 would be a steal but the components and the the box size i mean it fits in the 40 range so it, it makes sense yeah it's a good price i play it again like, I, I didn't hate it. Like, I'd like to try the B side and play with the, that rule we messed up, but... Right. I think that is going to make a bigger difference of... than than maybe it seems. It seems like such a small thing, but that that was kind of the thing that makes it boring, right? Like, it's a little bit on rails-ish if you're not making that decision. Yeah, it might it might be a huge difference. I don't know. But after one play, I, it's it's three out of the three for me. Like, the other two are way more interesting for me. Yeah, I just I feel like after all the games of Karuba I've played, I'm starting to feel the the strain of like trying ahead, building sorry. pathways every time. I know, but how many times have you played it? That's the awesome part about it. you. Like you're I not going to play like ten games times. of Imhotep. I guarantee that. I think like, I. Karuba's I think I games. would. Karuba. The great thing about Karuba is you don't play just once. Like it's the people are always like, let's do that again. You know what I mean? Like I don't see that with yeah, Imhotep. That's fair. I see that with Karuba and code names. I see Imhotep as having some longevity in terms of like it fits in as a entry level Euro game. And I think that there's a lot of reason to keep it around for that, you That's know, for great... when you need a 30 minute Euro game that that really feels Euro-y. It fits, it fits what Cosmos does. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think it's a great fit publisher to game. And that line kind of resonates with me anyway. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. I I mean, it's it's great for what I like. You know what I mean? The, a shorter Euro game is always welcome in my collection. I want to definitely try it again. I talked to Ruth, um, and she said the first time she played it, she really wasn't impressed, but she ended up playing it three times, and she was really starting to like it again. So I don't know if it's just like some missed rules or, you know, playing with the B-sides. She still hadn't played with the B-sides at that point. So that's, I think is a good sign and i you know when we're talking about spiel i don't know it might be that might be the winner just based on what we're talking about right now i want it to be karuba i think or at least based on how many times i've played that like dan said it's just kind of a game that you can't you know you want to play over and over again i think codenames looks too american and it is a party game so it might go the way of concept where you know it's a worthy nomination but not really what they do so i think imhotep has a good chance i think i understand why it, why it was nominated yeah at the very least i can say that yeah i, I agree with that I don't, I, I don't hate on that i think 
I'd put Adventureland above it still. Yeah. Looking at the three games, I just feel like Adventureland is probably too heavy. I guess. I guess. I'm, I'm curious. I don't, I don't you... think it really is, but I think that when you compare it, it's a little more heavy. I'm curious what kind of emergent features came about by playing the game multiple times that weren't there on the first game, other than, like, I guess slightly more understanding of the interaction between everyone, but... Yeah, maybe. It's, it's such a simple game, like, I don't see what was, what was hiding, but maybe... I don't know. I mean, I'm planning on playing it again this Thursday with my group. We're finally getting our our game nights back up and running. So I'll let you know if if anything new and by playing that new rule, if that changes it for me. I hope so. All right, Tiff, give me a a high. And if you have one, give me a low. If not, that's great. And we'll wrap this show up. I think Im- Imhotep was kind of, I hate to say it, like, it's not the lowest low in the world, right? It's like, oh, I was just, like, slightly disappointed. Like, oh, this game didn't blow my mind, but it was a perfectly fine game. That's the low yeah. of the con for me. It was Friday, I think. Yeah, that was when Justin was around and we walked the hall and did all the demos. Part of doing that, I ran into a lot of fans, a lot of fans of the Blender segments, and uh, even one person from the podcast that recognized me by voice. Yes. Wow. That's you and Dan have been recognized by voice now. Yeah. I'm surprised because I feel like, Matt, you have a pretty distinctive voice. You need to talk more at these cons. But, I, you know, I, it was nice getting the recognition, and especially when you create content for free, you really kind of need that extra little, like, yeah, I like what you're doing. So when you sit at your house recording yourself talking about board games, you don't feel like it's for naught. But yeah. uh, it was really nice to talk to people. That being said, at the end of that night, I was super tired <laughs> because talking to people really takes it out of me. So I had kind of like, a you know, our hotel room was kind of far away. So it's not worth it to like necessarily go and take a nap like you would if you're if you're hotel was attached so i had a couple of hours that night where i just didn't want to play anything didn't feel like doing anything didn't want to be around people so i guess that was sort of a low but i bounced out of it pretty easily saturday night (laughs) this is my high by the way uh i played a soulless euro game and it was fantastic Uh, we played Hansa Teutonica. It was me and Dan and uh, Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback and one of their friends. Uh, and I didn't know how, like, it was in the evening and, you know, by Saturday you're just tired. So I was like, oh, man, I am really going to suck at this Euro game, and especially they've all played it before. And Matt and Ben, it's like one of their favorite games. And I was super excited to play it because I've been meaning to play it. And uh, I won that game. That's right. I won. You won a soulless Euro game against the three soulless Euro players? Yeah. The most soulless people I know, and I beat them. Now, (laughs) Dan... Uh, You weren't the fifth player. Dan, I was going to say, I'll (laughs) let Dan jump in now and talk about being the fifth player. Don't play Hansa Teutonica on the base map with five players. It does screw you. screwed. I, I didn't get my third action until like five or six turns into the game. It was so obnoxious because everyone else was fighting for it. By the time it got to round to me, I only had two cubes to work with, so I couldn't. I could only get one cube on the path, and then I was bumped, and oh, it was obnoxious. And then I, I didn't get because the game ends as soon as someone gets to twenty, so I didn't get even turns. It ended like right before me. And I was like, uh, Riddle ended it, who was the fourth player. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And on my next turn, I did the calculation I lost out on. I think it was 12 points just on that turn because I I had set myself up really nicely for this next turn. I was going to be so proud of it. And 
nope, game just ended immediately. I was like, okay, that was awesome. So I would not play that game at two or five. <laughs> you know what's interesting is on the Board Game Geek page, it says it's best at five. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that map at five, though. Yeah. And I was looking at the other maps, and I think it's the I second I definitely one. felt bad for you at certain, not very bad at all, really, but just a little bit. Everyone's okay. I just, I I love the game. I just did not enjoy being the fifth player in a five player game. (laughs) Yeah. It It, was pretty obnoxious. (laughs) It definitely makes sense. But uh, it really boosted up my gamer confidence because that's been kind of down there in the toilet these days just because of my lack of gaming over the past couple of months. And, you know, when I first got to Origins, I'm like, I don't want to play with anyone. I'm not going to be able to win a game and everybody's going to think I'm stupid. Like, this is what runs through my head all the time at conventions. So when I won that game, I was like, I'm not stupid. So it was pretty great. This is basically how Tiffany got her groove back. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it was Pinchback and Riddle and Dan I with an asterisk on the Dan part, but yeah. That's fine. Nice. I got Yokohama. <laughs> you did. Easily. <laughs> I That game. All right. All right. Well, you're competitive aside. It sounds like Origins 2016 was a pretty good time. You guys are... I'm not doing Gen Con, but you guys are doing Gen Con, right? That's next? Yep. Excellent. So more cons to come. I think an hour and a half is plenty of time to chat about games. So let's go ahead and wrap this show up. It's been an exciting time chatting about Origins 2016. We thank you for joining us. Remember, if you ever want to chat with us, you can do so on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on the BGG Guild, number 2077. Or find us on places like Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave us iTunes reviews, Stitcher reviews, or Google Play reviews. Everyone's been so kind to us over on those different mediums. And uh, we appreciate the feedback because that helps us improve the show. And it helps people find us yes which is something that we really want to do because as tiff described you know doing something for free it you know just the hey i know who you are is or really keep us going i uh i had a long chat with a with a publisher smaller publisher he made a card game had designed a card game we had a good time talking and when i handed in my card he said actually i've heard of you guys and i was like oh man it's all worth it (laughs) so uh little things like that you know the the reviews are your way of letting us know that you've heard of us which is fantastic uh the other way to let us know that you've heard of us is to talk with us on twitter of course so if tiff they want to chat with you about how awesome it is to beat engineers and finance people at uh at euro games where do they find you i could tweet all day about that i am at inept gamer and it, dan they want to console you for being the fifth player in your soulless euro games where do they do that uh at league nonsense or at scandalous underscore nad excellent won't you can find again, me too i'm just living i'm just feeling it right now though it's good you got six weeks to enjoy it (laughs) and i because i'm calling it here matt ben tiff me four player hansa gen con done Ooh, i'm gonna have to buy it and train on it like we need to do a rocky style montage of me just playing hansa every day for the next six weeks And sweating profusely. Yeah, and like lifting logs and stuff. Drinking raw eggs while you move your cubes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to find me, you can do that at cinnamon buns spelled phonetically. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week for another episode of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Say goodbye. Bye. Toodles. <laughs> Thank you.
think I've hit an outrageous amount of lag right now. Okay. What do you, do we need, do you need to hang up? Do you need? Uh, I don't know. I was testing it. I'm, a, I'm about four seconds behind. Well, why don't we hang up and call back, keep the recording running? It'll take a second okay. and it'll probably fix your lag. This is where we hung up the Skype call. Cue elevator music. Alright, that's enough of that crap. Just gonna sit here and enjoy the silence like Depeche Mode. Dan. Y'all. Boobie doo boo, boobie doo bye.